Democrats play hardball on the state budget? Could gambling still save the day? And the controversy over clemency decisions. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Laura Bischoff, State House reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Bill Cohen, State House correspondent for Ohio Public Radio. Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. And Mary Ann Sharkey, public affairs consultant. Senate Republicans continue efforts to come up with a tax hike plan or a tax cut delay plan their members can't accept. This week, senators appeared ready to accept Governor Strickland's plan to delay the final phase of the state income tax cut, but they wanted something in return, namely changes in the way the state awards construction contracts on public projects. Members of the Legislative Black Caucus balked. They worried the changes would hurt chances of minority-owned firms getting those contracts. Now, the governor says construction reform is off the table. Sam Gresham, are Democrats being a little too hard-nosed on this? Well, I think it's a regular time of the year that $851 million hole needs to be filled. And I, I think that eventually the Republicans are going to do it, but they need something. I'm glad that they are going for Senator Sykes' bill where we'll get Senate Bill 22. I don't understand the construction, and I don't understand the all-day kindergarten, how that mushroomed up to be important enough to trade in a budget bill uh, debacle. I don't know how those things got there, but they are there now. Um, I hope we can make the compromise and get through this budget process. But the argument is that the construction bill would save money, and that's a, certainly a budget item. Yeah, I'm so you could see uh, that in a budget discussion. OLBC raises the good question. Uh, Ms. Sandra Williams, uh, Senator Miller, and the other members of OL, uh, Strayhorn, have raised the question, are we creating a camouflage that won't allow people of color to get contracts with the university? And I, and I think that's a legitimate question that you have to uh, figure out. I understand the other perceptions, too, with a blanket bid with a general. Maybe it can be uh, less expensive to do that. But um, it's interesting, the three items that came up as a part of the compromise. I think uh, on Monday they're going to try and start to um, do a better sales job for this contract contracting reform. Uh, they're going to bring in uh, Ohio State uh, President Gordon Gee, uh, Chancellor Eric Fingerhut, Bruce Johnson from the Inner University Council to try to maybe smooth over some of the questions that people have. But I, I, I don't know that they're um, that the opponents are even interested in listening at this point. They want to, you know, I think they want to keep the bill kind of clean and not uh, load it down with all these other. Um, ideas and, and, and proposals. I think it's interesting that you have a, a majority caucus in the Senate that is so split and uh, the moderates in the caucus are willing to go along with virtually the entire tax cut delay. This is pretty rare. Uh, instead of insisting on a conservative solution, which you, they could push through if they were united, instead they're split and their they're moderate uh, and their leadership folks are willing to move to the center. And, and say to the Democrats, we're willing to give in to, on virtually everything you're asking for except give us a couple extra things. That doesn't happen very often in the Ohio legislature. So what, why don't they just give them a couple things? I mean, this is, this <laughs> well, the, the construction aside, but just give them some kind of token cover and I, I think done. if you had kept the bill clean, which they did not do, which is just basically, you know, take the tax 
cut and you know set it aside uh, on its fifth year, you would have probably gotten a bill. But instead, they always have a need to load these things down with extras, like you know the all-day kindergarten. Well, that's an unfunded mandate. Um, you know that's going to cost your school district some money. If you don't give your school districts additional money, you have to be able to say we're going to give you the money to be able to fund this, not just say you have to have all-day kindergarten. The construction issue has been something that's been kicking around for 20 years. Um, and and it, Gordon Gee, I think, the president of Ohio State, has been the biggest proponent of it. He said it would cost, it would save $100 million on one project alone. I'm, I'm guessing that might be the hospital project. I mean, what other project could you, where you could save that <laughs> amount of money, but I don't know. But you, you know, the irony in this, and I want to take in the third component, is that Senate Bill 22 was originally in the legislation that the governor proposed, and the Democrats in the House took it out. And Senate Bill 22, to be clear, is? Um, requires a reduction in time in prison. Okay. It also Sentencing reform. Yes, okay. it's sentencing reform, plus if you do so many hours, it reduces your sentence. Yeah. A whole bunch of things. Prison sentencing reform. Yeah. The governor proposed it. The de Democrats took it out of the House, and Senator Sykes proposed it and put it back in. What's interesting to me, in the, in the horse trading, it rose to the level of being one of the items traded. I, I thought that was extremely, to follow up on what you said, Bill, uh, that an item like that would be one of the items they trade. Well, I think that it is budget related in that the, the prison sentencing reform, like you said, it would allow inmates to earn more good time and, and reduce time in their sentence. You know, the prisons are 130 percent uh, capacity. They're overcrowded. Being tough on crime uh, sounds like a great idea at the get-go, but it it does. There's a there's a tab to be paid down the line, and and that's why Sites has has said, well, you know, we we need to um, we need to put this back in for prison management, for overcrowding, and just for the the overall, you know, bill mm -hmm. on the taxpayer. So I th it does have to do with the budget. Everything comes back to to money eventually, I guess. <laughs> of course, still sitting out there is two hundred million dollars in casino licensing fees and possibly tens of millions of dollars in revenue from the slots at the racetracks plan, if that ever happens. A key date in that matter to watch is coming in a couple of weeks. December 18th is the day when the group LetOhioVote.org has to submit a quarter of a million signatures to put these slots on the racetracks plan on the ballot. Bill Cohen, this plan has been overshadowed a lot by the casino vote recently. It's still alive? Well, it's still alive, but again, now, if these folks collect their signatures, that puts the whole uh, slots at the tracks thing on hold for a whole year, and then Ohioans vote yes or no on the slots plan. The interesting thing will be, what if they don't collect enough signatures? And some people are suspicious that they won't come up with enough signatures, that they might not even be that serious about pushing for a, a statewide vote on this. And if they don't come up with enough signatures, that means, hey, slots at the tracks are back in play, at least for a day or two, because there's some other, even more anti-gambling activists who want to sue uh, on this on a slightly different issue and get their case uh, back before the Ohio Supreme Court and say, hey, there, if you want to have slots at the tracks, fine. You have to have a constitutional amendment. You can't just have the governor and legislators do this. So it could be off again, on again, off again. We just don't know. The let Ohio vote people, that, you know, it's a pretty high threshold. They have to get 241,000 valid signatures. Uh, now, I, I understand, I heard today that they are very close to hitting the 241, but you need like 40 or 50 many, percent yeah. more. Yeah. You need a padding in there because there's, there's not going to be um, you know, there's, there's a high uh, invalidation rate. However, they were able to collect signatures on election day at, at polling places, so that's a high hit rate. You know, they, the people yeah. who are going yeah. to the polls are registered, are registered voters. voters yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and the casino vote doesn't affect that, or don't we know yet how the casino, if the because the amendment's been changed to allow the four casinos around the state, it doesn't do anything to the slots at the racetrack mm -hmm. plan. So mm -hmm. they can still go forward. It might hurt the bottom line of the slots plan. But, but the it might make it easier to pass yeah. the slots once yeah. the casinos have already passed in Ohio. But I did, it, the, the constitutional amendment has no impact on yeah. the slots It doesn't issue. prohibit them or anything. No, it does There's not. There's only one link between those two things, and that is legislators who are desperate for cash are looking at both those <laughs> things, saying, you know, if either the casino thing, hey, we got maybe 200 million in uh, licensees coming in from them, can we use that in some way to plug these holes in the state budget? Or, on the other hand, can we use the slots at the tracks plant and bring in some money that way? And yeah, that new money will fill some holes, and then we'll take money that we were going to give to schools or universities from other tax sources, and we'll take that away from those programs and plug a hole in the budget. You know, the interesting thing to me, we were perennially against uh, gambling and now we have a glut of gambling. We have slots, we have casinos and the slots are hoping that they get in first so that they can take money from the casinos and all of a sudden now Ohio will probably have more gambling than any other states if the slots and the casinos But Sam, the truth is we've had gambling in Ohio all this yeah. time anyway. Yeah, in every have. church basement, at every bingo. Kiwanis club, every bingo <laughs> hall, it, it's gone on and on. I mean, churches have had Las Vegas nights. Um, but, but no doubt when you add four large casinos and slot machine racinos oh, yeah. at, four, at seven different uh, horse tracks, you know, it is dividing the pie. Well, it's growing the pie a little bit, but the, t the pie gets divided uh, yeah. by more numbers. Uh, the Columbus Casino, it's been quiet on that front for a couple of weeks anyway, the, but they're still saying they're going to try to keep it out of the nationwide arena. How can district. you do that? Constitution prescribes where it's at. Yeah. How so do you do that without going back to the Constitution? You've you got to change the Constitution or you've got to have to get the developers to give up their plans to build it. It's Even if it's in the Constitution, you can get up to developers to build well, it. Well, they don't have to build it. They're not, they're not forced to build it. Yeah. They're they, not forced to build it. It allows them to build it. Oh. Of course, you got that idea letting Columbus in some way opt out. That yeah. could be one constitutional amendment. Another idea floating around is let's not only do that, let's change the tax rate. That 33% tax rate, that isn't high enough. The voters didn't understand. They could have gotten a better deal, 50 or 60%. Let's put another constitutional amendment on next May and get these guys to pay 60%. Now, is this of now course, who knows? The who problem knows? with the whole opt-out idea yeah. is there was never an opt-in idea. idea. Yeah. These opponents, who, who, including the leading newspaper in this city, have never said because Cuyahoga County or Lorraine County or these other areas who have consistently voted in favor of having a casino that they should be allowed to have one. Yeah. And you worked, just to flip yes, this one, you worked work. for the casino campaign yes. up in Cleveland. In Cleveland yes, so nobody will send you a letter. That's right. <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. Or email now. Email Sam. We don't get any letters anymore. But this whole opt-out thing, because I went back, there was a letter to the editor in the dispatch last weekend and it said that, okay, if Columbus wants to opt out, then all the counties who, uh, who voted against the smoking ban amendment should be able to opt out there. And I went back over the past two years and looked at all of the amendments. You know, payday lenders. The whole state voted against the payday lenders except for Adams County. So under this theory, Adams County should be able to set up payday lenders down there. Right. You had the minimum wage. You had 20-some-odd counties that voted against the minimum wage amendment. Well, it's just silly. Well, if, if, a, if a county doesn't vote for Ted Strickland as governor or Bob Taft as governor, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that, that they don't get that governor. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. some counties could have Ken Blackwell as their governor. And there's a lot of talk of, okay, maybe we can convince the developers to build the casino at the old Cooper Stadium. 
for instance. But they cannot do that without changing the Constitution. Constitution. So it has to go back but, but on the ballot. You know, the, so it's either yes or no. Yeah. yeah. It's the hypocrisy of it all. And this is California style. Do you know what they do in California? There's always citizen initiatives every year. Ohio is catching up each year. This gambling thing, we may have 15 or 20 of them on there. All right. Let's get to our third topic. Ohio is about two-thirds of the way through its third frontier project. The 10-year program aims to use state money to help start up high-tech firms. Under the voter-approved $1.6 billion effort, the state issues grants to help companies get off the ground. With the program set to expire in 2012, Democrats want to ask voters this coming May if they want to renew it. Republicans support the project, but not necessarily a May vote. Bill Cohen, why do Democrats want to support this thing a year and a half before it expires, renew it? Well, it's a, for, it's a good campaign issue to say, hey, we're doing something about jobs, and that's what this whole thing is about. And the other thing they say is, uh, you know, if you wait for another year or so, you get some uncertainty in the way this thing gets phased in. You've got to make sure it gets passed also. That's not a sure thing. Let's remember, this idea actually was defeated by voters in 2003 when it stood on its own, and the only way legislators got voters to approve it was wait two years and stick it into some other, even more popular infrastructure job creation bill. So I think that's why the Democrats want to, one reason they want to start early on this. It seems there's a report that says six, they've spent $681 million, but they've resulted in $6.6 billion in private investment and 48,000 jobs. So it seems to have worked it, according to that report. I would be remiss in not saying that this is Governor Taft's greatest legacy. Um, this has been a great program, and it, it is, it's worked you know, beautifully, and it has created jobs and has done what, what you know, and I, and I think it's, it's a good idea to put it on the ballot and to expand the program. But, but the critics make a good point. <laughs> Just what would, maybe most of those jobs would have been created anyway by private investors, and isn't that the way, critics say, isn't that the way the system is supposed to work? You got a good idea, private investors say they're willing to take the risk and, uh, and go in on it in order to make a profit. They're not supposed to wait for government to kick in. But one of the problems with that is that during this elections, the Republicans don't want the Democrats to take credit for it. And, and the re they, it, what was the phrase? He wants it to be apolitical so that everybody gets a little So Marianne, are they trying to steal Governor Taft's project? Oh, I, I wouldn't say that. I think Governor Taft himself would be thrilled that they're doing this, and when, I'm certain he'll be extremely supportive of this issue. So they, they were all for it before, yeah. and they're all for it now, yeah. eventually. I yeah. mean, there's some disagreeing over the timing and yeah. so forth. But forth. isn't this a part of the puddling between the deal, between the deal, between the deal, to get something passed? Um, borrow, there's been questions about raising, raised about borrowing more money in this tough economy. I mean, you talk about deficits. The state can't have a budget deficit year to year yeah, like the Fed's Keynesian economists say we will go, we need to go into a deficit. We need to create jobs. I think if you want to make a transfer of jobs are the most important thing. Once we said it was the economy and the election, for everybody coming up this fall in Congress and everybody who's being reelected, jobs are the most important thing. And if you can't create jobs, I think the Democrats are in trouble in 2012. I think they're in trouble with the off-year elections anyway. But I think this idea uh, I was at a place the other day, and they said, we're going to spend $40 billion in Afghanistan. Man, that would make a lot of jobs in America, a whole lot of jobs. So jobs 
of what people want. I mean, and, people and we're seeing everybody has to raise taxes. I mean, uh, all our local communities have to raise taxes. Our counties are having to raise taxes. The state government is looking at deficit. I mean, it's getting to be very, very difficult. And, and it becomes counterproductive in terms of job creation. The more you raise taxes, you know, the less jobs you're going to be creating. Okay, let's get to our next topic. Ohio's sex offender law has drawn criticism in recent weeks because of the disturbing case of Anthony Sowell. He is the Cleveland man accused of killing 11 women and disposing their bodies in his home. He was a convicted sex offender. He spent 14 years in jail for choking and raping a woman. But even though police were monitoring him as a sex offender, and even though at least three women accused him of attempted rape over the years, his alleged crimes eluded police until October. Mary Ann, you live up in the Cleveland area. Right. Police up there are facing a lot of questions on this case. Will it lead to changes, do you think? I think it's going to eventually lead to changes. I mean, there's no question that there were a lot of warning signs about this guy. Besides the fact he was a convicted sex offender, women were disappearing in his neighborhood. One woman had, had, uh, had gone to the police and charged rape. Another woman was found naked uh, outside his building. There were so many signals out there that something really, really seriously was going on yeah. in that place. Plus, the neighborhood was stinking up with dead bodies. I don't mean to be gross about it, but it really was. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, um, you know, how the police missed this is going to be a subject of a lot of scrutiny. Will a change in state law, the sex offender registration notification law, will that solve those problems? Or is this more of a police well, the investigative police will, problem? The police will tell you in this case they did not have the ability to go into his house. Mm -hmm. They could go up there, knock on his door, check on him, but they did not have the ability to go into his house. As a I think that will change. They could not That's enter correct. His, his, his That's house? That's correct, Sam. Yeah. Yes. But in other words, the irony is he, he was reporting, as he, he should, to his parole officer. Yes. Yes. They knew he was there, That's so correct. the reporting laws were being obeyed. So, right. you know, having these reporting laws is no guarantee. But the officers could knock on his door, but they couldn't go in. Like, well, there were dead bodies strewn all over. Why couldn't, yeah. I, why couldn't, I don't understand why they couldn't enter just Either. based on the stench. Right. Because Probable he cause. lived next to a, a sausage, sausage factory. factory. Uh -huh. And yeah. most and people thought, the yeah, I mean, factory. that's the weirdest twist. And they even thought they story. might have been, a, they cleaned their drains, the they factory did. They cleaned their drains, they cleaned out sewers I I there in the neighborhood. Great cover. But, but yeah, he lived we, next to a sausage factory. We seem factory. to have another problem emerging out of this, which even makes it more complex. Baby boomers are going into prison, uh, are going into nursing homes. So now we have a lot of sex offenders going into nursing homes. And I understand the laws make it complex so that the people in the nursing homes cannot be notified notify that these people are in the nursing in the nursing homes. So is it a conflict between uh, registration laws and like HIPAA um, medical privacy laws? And I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what it is uh, that keeps them from doing that. But now it raises another question too: in our society and the complexity of our laws, what is a positive resolution for these type of people? One, to prevent them from doing more harm, but not to take away their rights too. What's the compromise? I've talked to a person who works in the parole office and the probation office, and the, she says that sex offender laws are just. The feel-good legislation. The real most sex offenses, molestations, happen between people who know each other. Right. People who are never registered, never will be registered, and they waste a lot of time, you know, checking a thousand feet from a school, checking up on these folks when they could be doing things like knocking on doors and following up on missing persons. Well, there's another issue. They they may classify too many people as sex right. offenders yeah. to the point where you have so many in in any given neighborhood that the police are unable to continue. I mean, this is this is the case of the Anthony Sowell mm -hmm. 
case that there were so many sex offenders living in that neighborhood that the police didn't track all of them. And, and people who are, you know, who are more minor offenses are, are labeled for life as sex offenders. The other issue here is these women didn't gather a, a whole lot of attention when they disappeared. And a lot of people said that because they were black women mm -hmm. and it was in a black neighborhood that it didn't get the normal coverage. It, it, the, 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 belly, the underbelly says had 11 white women disappeared in that community and that way that that would have happened. There would have been a lot more coverage of it. Mm -hmm. and, and there was one story I read where the lady went in and the police told her she was a drug addict and she'll come home by Christmas and all of that stuff. So there was a lot more going into this in the coverage uh, with regards to the women and uh, strong prosecution and investigation because it's color and it was a poor neighborhood too. And, and Sam, there's a third element in that a lot of these women were crack addicts right. and were and and did were known to have disappeared right. for uh, you know lengthy periods of time many of them didn't even have families looking for them well a lot of them have had a lot of crack addicts burn their bridges with their family you know so many in so many ways over and over again that um, you know, the families might give up on them and they and they wouldn't be looking that's that's what happened exactly in, in quite a few yeah. of these cases our last topic, clemency has been in the news a lot lately. Last week, Governor Strickland granted clemency to 78 people, including a man convicted of murder. The governor says Willie Knighton is innocent of the Lucas County murder he, convic he was convicted of 13 years ago. And now former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee is drawing criticism for granting clemency to the man accused of killing four police officers in Washington State. Laura Bischoff, back to Ted Strickland. He's had these cases for, for quite a while. Yes, actually, he uh, he inherited quite a few of them from um, Governor Taft, and uh, he had um, he decided 296 cases overall, 78 got pardons or commutations. Uh, that's about a 25, 26 percent rate. Uh, he has another 400 uh, and some change pending that have come in just in the last uh, in 08 and 09. Um, you know, so he's he's taking a very deliberative approach to it, as all governors um, should. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's uh it's politically risky uh, and the Huckabee um, pardoning that that guy is is you know evidence of that yeah. you know these guys you could give them a pardon or a commutation and next thing you know they go out and uh, commit some heinous crime would he have granted would Governor Strickland have granted those clemency requests had the Mike Huckabee story come out two weeks ago or three weeks ago I you know I he might have waited but yeah. I think that he was still going to go forward yeah. as as he had planned this you know can I ask a question? Aren't, aren't most of the people who are given clemencies or pardons, haven't they served their terms? Yes, actually, uh, mo most of these people had already served their terms. There was only, uh, I can't remember how many of them had actually were still in prison. I know there was uh, t only two murderers that uh, received um So the only purpose is to get it off their records? In yes, and a lot cases, of you know yeah. the, the, a lot of the people I talked to a guy from Dayton who, um, who did some forgery and receiving stolen goods when he was a teenager in with the wrong crowd and he he served a little bit of time in prison and then he went on to get his undergraduate his master's he's working on his PhD he owns a house he's a you know a professional and he 
uh, where he lives in the Washington D.C. area, and he was unable to get the security clearance he needed uh. to get jobs with federal agencies. Okay. So a lot of them have already d they've redeemed themselves yeah, to a large degree. That. I just want to say, unless unless uh, one particular case explodes in Strickland's face, I think it's be very hard to use this to say Strickland is soft on crime. After all, he's been strong on the death penalty. He's made sure we're going to continue the lethal injections. Yeah. There was even an example recently where the parole board recommended clemency for a he, death row inmate, he and he said no. Let the execution he, move ahead. You know, he did go against the parole board in some of these cases, though. Well, e every governor has done this, so it's not like it's new to a Democratic governor. Um, normally, the governor is actually the court of last resort for many of these people who have tried to, who've gone on to live productive lives. Um, sometimes, like you said, it like, could be a teenage crime or someone who is trying to get clearance for a job um, and has had a clean record for 30 years, and the only way they can get it is through some sort of uh, action by the governor. Critics might say, well, look, these people committed a crime. Juries, judges made their rulings. Should the, why can the governor erase that? The most that? famous one I know in Columbus was Jerry Hammond, and I don't know if people remember his circumstance. A felon could not be elected to office, mm -hmm. and at the time it, this, this law was discovered, Jerry was the president of city council in Columbus, so that's an, that's mm -hmm. an example. And he did it when he was a, a young child. He was uh, a child. teenager. Yeah, he was a teenager, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Laura Bischoff, you're up first. I will predict that the budget will get fixed uh, before Christmas Eve, but probably not much before that. But by Christmas, though. By Christmas. Oh, that'd be nice. Bill? Governor Strickland wants to give Columbus voters a chance to opt out on casinos. The Republican Senate president also agrees. The Columbus Dispatch wants to do the same thing. But I still think it's a real long shot. I don't think, I think it's very hard to scrape up the three-fifths supermajority in the legislature to put that on the ballot next we'll May. Will they get the sewer pipes to go to the casinos? Yeah, that's another <laughs> issue. <laughs> Sam? I think we'll see a deal with the uh, Columbus uh, Blue Jackets, and I think they will be here for a long time to come, and I think the deal will happen sometime around Christmas. The mayor has named a liaison today to help work that out. Marianne. The uh, investigation of the Cuyahoga County Democrats looks like it's going to now spill into the election year in 2010. I'm sure that Governor Strickland and the other Democrats on the ballot will be very unhappy that, uh, the, that the big Democratic county in Cuyahoga is going to still have a huge Democratic um, scandal. Okay. We'll watch for that. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can check out our website. There you can get a lot of information. You can get a preview of the week's topics before the show. If you miss a show, you can get streaming video of each program. You can get a link to our Facebook page and a link to my blog. That's all on our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel and for those guys who were banging on the window, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.